0: Vulture's Good One podcast is sponsored by HBO's Crashing, starring Pete Holmes. The new comedy series, co-created by Holmes and Judd Apatow, draws on their experience as comedians, offering a behind-the-scenes look at the unpredictable world of stand-up comedy. Guest stars include Artie Lang, T.J. Miller, Sarah Silverman, and Hannibal Burris. Crashing has just wrapped up its first season, but if you missed any of it, every episode is available on HBO Go and HBO Now. Welcome to Good One, Vulture's new podcast about jokes and those who tell them. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each week I have a comedian, comedy writer, or director on to play and talk about one of their jokes. I'm so excited for you to listen to this week's guest, the incomparable, the lovable Horatio Sands. So sometimes before we start the interview, the guests ask if they could watch or listen to the joke they pick. You know, just to jog their memories. And, and as Horatio would tell me, he hadn't watched Don's Apothecary since it aired during his fifth season on Saturday Night Live back in 2003. Let me tell you, I can't imagine anyone enjoying this sketch, or any sketch for that matter, more than Horatio Sands did. Despite the fact that he wrote and starred in it, he had, he basically forgot exactly what happened, so he was able to watch it as if it was a perfect piece of comedy made exactly for him. Nine episodes into doing this podcast, there have been few moments more enjoyable than watching Horatio Sands watch his own sketch. Seriously, like, it sounded like this. <laughs> And now you get to hear the truly very silly sketch. I should say, like some of the things picked on Good One, there is a visual element. But as always, you can find the video of it on Vulture.com in our post for the episode. Until then, just know that the setting is an old-school pharmacy in a changing neighborhood. Horatio Sands plays Don with a gray wig, motorized scooter, and one of those grabby arm things. Queen Latifah plays Calandra, Don's pregnant employee. That should do it. Hope you enjoy Don's apothecary as much as Horatio Sands did. Hi gonna. I'm gonna need a pack of condoms.
1: Good for you, buddy. Sex is wonderful. I can no longer have sex in a traditional way. I was shot in the spine a few years back. I'm dead from here down. Like, I'm very lucky nothing happened to my tongue. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> Uh, do you have any sheepskin ones? Yeah, let me just check out over here. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna have to check in back. Talandra? Yeah? Yeah, do we have a five-pack of uh, Pleasure Man sheepskin condoms? Oh, that's nasty. Somebody else that wanna have sex with a sheep? <laughs> All right, Talandra. Is that Norman that want them sheep condoms? Uh. Norman, you up there? Norman, you a freak, yo. It's not Norman. Uh, You know, they're really not that uncommon. Like I said, I can't feel anything down here, but luckily, God bless you with a tongue like a gila monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, I get it. Here, Don. here you go. There you go, right there. That's $11.99. Okay. There you are. There we go. And here's your change. Enjoy your evening, buddy. <laughs> Hi, I'll get this water oh, and can I have some water, aspirin? Uh, ass pain? <laughs> oh, you got the hemorrhoids? We got uh, Preparation H or Extra Strength Tux. Okay. Right there, Corey. If you okay. need that, which one would you like? You know, you, you misunderstood. I need aspirin or ibuprofen, it doesn't matter. Well, that's not going to do much for your butt pain. You know, your conversations should be more on the professional level. I find your lewd stories and inappropriate dialogues most off-putting. Oh. That hurt my ass. Ooh. Ooh, this baby gonna drive me to the sidewalk, Dawn. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's some bad chop suey, (laughs) Talandra. This is a good place for a stick-up. <laughs> hey, uh, do you have herpesin? Uh, do you have a cold, sore? No, I have herpes. Oh, that's nasty. Okay, Talandra. Sorry, sir, let me get that herpes medication for you. Here you go. Thank you, I'm just gonna go check out your half price Valentine's Day candy. Oh, they're right over there by the hair coloring. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Yep, right there. No, all right. Yep. Uh, Hello. Hi, um, I need something for a yeast infection. Is it for your vagina? (laughs) Yeah, um, do you have monostat? Yes, we do. Right over here. Right there. Let me grab the monostat. Oh, and the, uh, there you go. Right there. Oh, and you're lucky there, there's no price on it. You know what, I gotta call Glenn. Hold on a second there, ma'am. Hello, Glenn? Yeah, what's the dilly? Yeah, we need a price check on the monostat. But somebody got a yeast infection? <laughs> yep. we at? Uh, I think it's in the vaginal area. oh, oh snap. <laughs> this is embarrassing. Oh, that ain't nothing to be embarrassed about. I once had a mushroom cold growing out my butt. <laughs> okay, Talandra. All right, $13.99 on a yeast infection cream. Uh, how much? On the fa- a vaginal yeast cream? Yeah. The vaginal yeast infection cream is $19.99. <laughs> Thank you. All right. There you go. Hey. Are you single? Because there was a guy running around here with herpes. You guys are making a nice couple. I should have gone to Walgreens. Well, you can go to Walgreens or CVS or whatever, but you're never going to get the personal service like you do here. Because you know what? Me and the gang, we're like a family back here. (laughs) Well... I, I guess you're right. Whoa, <laughs> no, you got a yeast growing down there? Well, let me take a picture with you. Go ahead, do Oh, picture time! Whoa, I want to show this to all my friends. They ain't gonna never believe that I know someone that got a yeast growing down there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should have gone to Walgreens after all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Walgreens. Maybe you should have gone there after all. Thousands of locations nationwide. So I'm here with the person behind that joke, Mr. Horatio Sands. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm sorry, I'm recovering from laughing at that. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Yeah, you mentioned you probably haven't seen it. Maybe you probably haven't even, I don't know if you've even watched it back ever. I mean, and so that was 14 years ago. Well, what was your first reaction to, to watching it? You know, I, what I
2: love is that I usually like what I see. Like mm. Like in the old, like when I watch it, like... When I would watch it in the old days, like I'd do a sketch and watch it, yeah. I would feel like, oh, it's too soon. I need to wait to watch it or else I'll critique it. But like I see him now, and I'm like, that's pretty great. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't look like that exactly anymore. So it's it's I just watch it as a fan, and it's,
0: it sounds crazy, but uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, you were watching as if you had no idea any of these things were going to happen.
2: Right, I forgot all the jokes. You know, cause, and I did two of them, one with uh, Christina Aguilera also, and uh, so. I forget which jokes are coming up. I, I I know that you got you
0: got a yeast, uh, Tracy's line. You got a yeast down there. I remember that one. That was a good one. So let's back up a little bit. The sketch aired midway through your fifth season on the show. You know, at at that point, how are you feeling? Kind of in your place in the position of your show and how comfortable you were there.
2: That was my that was probably my first year. That no, was your fifth year. My fifth year. Oh, yeah. my fifth year. Yeah. So. After four years, you're kind of figuring you're not going to get fired. Uh, before those four years, you're kind of always waiting for mm-hmm. the other shoe to drop. But after four years, and uh, Jimmy Fallon and I had done a bunch of scenes together, so I felt that the show kind of could use us. So I, I, was, I was feeling pretty, uh, pretty good about being there and the kind of material that I was trying to push. If you notice watching that scene, there's barely any laughs at the beginning because people are like, what the hell is this? And it starts out with um, – a joke about being shot in the spine, <laughs> uh, which comes from um, the, the sketch is about uh, it, it's it, it's from my neighborhood. Um, you know, it was a changing neighborhood when when we moved there, and then by the time I left the neighborhood, it was it was very different. Was you this know? growing
0: up or in growing up?
2: Oh, in Chicago, in Chicago. So that's kind of what the, the deal with Don's Apothecary is. It's just like these old businesses that stayed forever, and even though the neighborhood changed. And the neighborhood got more dangerous. Mm-hmm. They're still there. Uh, the creepy fun. <laughs> some people would be think that's terribly depressing. But <laughs> my character, <laughs> I wanted my character to be a victim of a robbery, <laughs> and and so that's why he's in the wheelchair. Got it. And, uh, and I know that's really sad, but I it just, I just, you know, with it, that guy's personality because he's very happy and kind of jovial. I felt that that was kind of, I can get away with it.
0: Yeah. So did you start with, so you knew you wanted a setting about those kind of changing stores and you're like, what type of character would be there? And you're like, he should be, he should be the victim of a robbery. And what was the pitch that you first pitched of kind of the sketch? You know, I think it's a joke that's
2: permeated, you know, in in history. (laughs) Uh, Ever since people have ordered, uh, personal medication where someone calls it out over the yeah. the PA. But at that time, it was more about the neighborhood than that joke, even though we relied on those jokes heavily. <laughs> uh, you know, I did also want to remind people of like this weird
0: situation that, that that is going on that a lot of people don't get to see. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, even now you're talking about like your focus is still like, yeah, I really feel like we – carry we got the point across about how these neighborhoods are changing because i think if most people watch the sketch they're like there's a giant fart joke there's a joke where queen latifah said (laughs) mushroom girl yeah pulled out of my butt and and so but there is there is
2: that like young young inner city kids working at a place for the first time and they don't quite understand it you know and it's and you hire from within the community and yeah. like a business would would feel good about that and then it's just a bunch of weirdos you know and he's the main weirdo so it's not on purpose so i never i never like to play things where i'm on purpose purposefully being an asshole you know yeah. so in that sketch when i'm saying those two should get together it's ignorance instead of like just
0: being a <laughs> smart ass do you remember queen Latifah's reaction to the pitch of it or when she kind of first got a sense of what the sketch was i think she liked the, the
2: craziness of it Christina Aguilera also liked liked it, and that's a funny one. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I don't know if people really got it. I think you know, using the the grabber, the grabber, and and the wheelchair, which actually uh, that that I think is my own little rascal mm-hmm. that was given to me by Ozzy Osbourne. So I guess in my fifth year, I was like, let's incorporate the the scooter that Ozzy Osbourne gave me had sent to New York in a, in a box. Uh, and I would write it down the hallways. And so I, I guess I was looking for something to do with it. And uh,
0: and so Don's Gabriel. apothecary. You know, cast members are expected to generate material on SNL, but from the sense I get is each has a different appetite to actually sitting down and on computer and writing. But, you know, they're usually kind of around on Tuesday nights when they're writing. What was your process in terms of, a, you know, first draft writing on Tuesday night for a sketch like this? Were you – how involved were you in terms of, you know – and, no, or you do, uh, how were you involved?
2: You do a lot of walking around. At that time, I'd probably walk in around 5 because I knew I was going to stay all night. So like, coming in earlier would just make the day too long. So I would come in at 5 and then stay all night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get an idea. You pitch it. And then, like, if someone laughs in the room, you know, Lauren's office where all, all the writers and actors are gathering in, into Lauren's office, which is, you know, twice the size of this little room. <laughs> and, uh, and we pitch these ideas. And I guess, you know, that must have gotten a response from, from – one of the writers or uh or her her I don't remember but um yeah so I would write with Eric Kenward mm-hmm. um one of the writers who's like who's now one of the producers and we, you know he liked he always liked loved my you know dark ideas so we made a good a good uh team when we were there and he always was ready to like he's a very smart dude and
0: got it i mean the structure is pretty i mean it's like a classic snl structure where it's like yeah. this is the thing then we're going to do it four, four times four times and then get out yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, you know, there's certain things that are, I mean, a, you know, notable beats. I mean, like, I think especially like the Walgreens ending, where it's like the whole thing was hypothetically an ad for Walgreens. Yeah,
2: that's just the lazy bonkers ending <laughs> that you you see occasionally, and I like using it, which is just this whole dumb thing you've seen is an, a terrible ad for Walgreens,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which you then use again for the the second one. You're like, I think I, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember? thinking of any specific of those specific of those beats there's the lambskin condo beat there's the person who proudly has herpes yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's now it's you know it's like now almost 15 years ago like do you i guess the question is maybe like is it possible to remember specific things at this point you know yeah when you we we watched it just now so that that helps and then you ask
2: me about it certainly reminds me of uh of what i was thinking when we did it uh, and I chose it because it's it's rare. I don't think it's shown that often, or if it is, you know, I don't I don't hear a lot about it. And so, I chose it because I, I really did get a kick out of getting that on the air. Yeah, uh, the darkness of it, the weirdness, the racial overtones, um, the changing neighborhood. You know, a guy who loves eating pussy because he's paralyzed. That's <laughs> yeah, a, a beautiful
0: thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is so interesting is, like, there's a tremendous contrast between sort of, like, the big picture idea of what the sketch is and the, like, textual content of the sketch. Right. Is that a thing that you think you're you're hoping for or generally you try to do? Which is, You know, it is, like, some of, like—and I mean this in the best way—like, the dumbest possible of jokes. Like, there's a huge yeah. fart in it. But, again, there's, like— there is a clear racial. She's under- pregnant, by the way. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> but like every, I believe, like sensibly, every customer is white. But then they are these people in the back who are, who are not. You know, is that kind of that mix supposed to be?
2: Yeah, it is. It's because uh, there's also a play off of uh, you know, black people being chill and just being at a job, and then dealing with the you know uptight white person who has to come in and buy stuff for herpes. You know, so. <laughs> Uh, I, I love that, and I love their joviality about it. Yeah, and they're not,
0: you know, they're like, "What? Damn, that's nasty!" You know. And <laughs> <laughs> but, I guess what's interesting is that you don't necessarily say they're wrong. You're like, "Yeah, they are acting how they should." Kind of right. <laughs> I'm just like, "Okay, guys,
2: we're I'm, we're professionals here," but obviously, I'm the least professional. <laughs> and yeah, so so those things, uh, like I like I, I always tell people, like my my fart jokes and my dick jokes are. All right, I try at least to make them a little smarter than your average dick joke. So this is a perfect example of that. Like there's just all this rich history behind it. And if you don't see it as a as an audience member, that's okay, but just know that that was my intention. <laughs> and you know, and so I do get I get away with because I'm Latino also, I think I can get away with racial humor in a way that other people can't. Yeah. And I'm uh, and I and I'm very grateful for that. So I am the white guy in this. <laughs> working with black kids uh, and then uptight white people are coming in to buy stuff, and um, I grew up in a in a very diverse neighborhood, went to very diverse school. So you know, these kind of behaviors are from a place of reality. When it, when things weren't going well for me, there was a few a few maybe a months at a time that I wasn't on the show or and I, I didn't feel it was going well. You know, I I definitely was one of those guys that would write for the for the band, and I would get all these compliments from the other writers. Yeah. But that wasn't getting me anywhere. <laughs> so, you know, I kind I guess I had I wanted to prove to them that I was also a writer and so I would write on my own and and then do fun sketches and and then they wouldn't get on. So then, you know, you just go back to playing the game. Yeah. This game in in this case is black people saying funny sex jokes. <laughs> um that's that's kind of the game. Yeah. And then and then you kind of like you cushion that. You cushion that with layers and then you know, depending on I really like I really like as because I do improv a lot. I I kind of have to come in I, when I jump on stage. I do improv. I have to have a built-in history. So yeah. most things that I do have a built-in history.
0: You're like, oh, this is the context for this thing. It's interesting that you know, like there is both part of like, okay, so essentially the thing that's going to be what people are going to laugh at is the black people saying bad sex jokes or whatever. But like the thing or that makes my character sex, going yeah.
2: over a PA system asking for herpes medication. But it goes to the two jokes.
0: But it's an interesting thing of, you know, SNL is always a a sort of how do I would put it. It's like the spoonful of medicine. But everything is like, oh, it has to be have enough of. It's always a balancing act of what well, has to have a certain amount of like, let's say, like bigness or broadness of terms of like sex jokes. But also there has to be a level of some intellect. Or otherwise, it'd just be like a lesser sketch show. Like you know, or like, we'd lose half the audience. Yeah, they'll be mm. like is this just like a sketch? You know, like I think it has to have certain amounts of weirdness that you, you. the sketch on its surface is actually much more, now I realize how much more complicated it is because you have sort of, there's a weird component, which is the character you're playing. It's a very bizarre combination of characters. And you have the, the the part that is Tracy and Queen Latifah's character. But then you also have this setting that is like, you know, some amount of a satire or cultural commentary and, it's interesting that it's probably just happened organically. You're like, okay, I have these things I want to do and we can kind of jam it in. Right? It's not like you like, okay, I want to do a sketch that kind of has this element. Uh, well,
2: yeah, no, I guess a lot a lot of the gentrification that was happening not really gentrification, the other way
0: around. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the opposite of gentrification is. Yeah. It, it there
2: was. I like I remember when I was a little kid there was this old Polish, you know, uh butcher and it was like a little store, Don mm-hmm. Oskin. Uh and uh and Wait, there, his there name was is a, also Don? Yeah. So I think that's where I got Don from. So Don Oskin was this very nice, sweet white guy. And then it was all just so white. It was so like Mayberry a little bit. And mm-hmm. that's how I remember when I was five. No, well, later when I was like 13, it, it was a completely different place. But, uh, I and then uh, there was a place, there was another, it was a bakery that was around forever. And it was a Jewish deli, Jewish bakery, yeah. and there were no Jews in the neighborhood anymore. Uh, so mostly they sold pickles. Yeah. Uh, but, and so there, <laughs> there are a few of these places that I yeah. remember, and I was like, "There's a sweetness and a, and a sadness about it that I that I lo- that would love to swim around it."
0: <laughs> I've heard you in an interview said that at some point through you stop you'd stop going to the rewrite table to to back up to the audience, and also essentially on SNL after the table read, Lauren and the producers would pick which sketches would then kind of go to dress, and then the writers would rewrite it. Um, and I in this interview said you, you eventually stopped going i don 't know if this was that point, but i was just interested in generally your relationship to rewriting after you kind of did that first pass
2: uh well, you know you have to come in earlier, and i didn 't like doing that i didn 't want to come in at one <laughs> no the there 's a little bit of that, but the honest truth is that when guys are at when writers are at a writing table they they mess around and they do bits about the stuff yeah. and sometimes you know, they're making fun of what you're writing and uh or someone who you think is not great is trying is suggesting for you to do some other thing. And you're like, no, no, <laughs> you know. And so it ends up I end up being too precious and protecting yeah. too much and not letting them do their job. So I took myself out of it. You guys rewrite it the best way you think. I won't be there to be a pissed off or insulted or or bored. And this way. This way, you guys can do your job, and then when I got to the floor with it, like uh, in dress rehearsal, if I saw some fun jokes were missing, I'd I'd, I'd argue for them back, and yeah. and and I'd probably
0: get like most of them back. Yeah. So, but because if you remember them, then they're probably good enough to be in it.
2: Yeah, and you know, you, like you when you remember writing it, you're like, I just want Tracy to say, "You got a yeast down there," <laughs> you know. So what I ended up doing was uh, just stop going to rewrites, and then when we dressed, I would I would go like, "Well, this joke should be back." But by then the good thing is I'm I'm talking to Kenward and Kenward's talking to Higgins yeah. instead of five dudes. <laughs> so yeah. it's a little I mean, I hate to say it, but it's a little ingenious. Yeah. you you figured out for, a so way to of doing less work
0: to do and get a better result. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So casting is a generally the writers get uh get to cast it. Do you remember anything about like why you felt who should be in what part? Yeah, I mean if we had more
2: if we had more black cast members, I would have put them in as the uh the shoppers too. Yeah. But you know, but then that little luck happened is that now you get the the put upon white person. uptight white person. So that kind of I think that's the little fun game. And then X is is like Latina and then she loves doing a ghetto thing, so she comes in <laughs> doing that. And uh yeah, I mean it's just
0: uh they they had fun doing it. There's I mean there's Will Forte seems perfect as a person who has herpes and is proud of it. Yeah, and then it's always good to have one weirdo
2: that's another, um, you know, a misdirect where you're like, okay, what's this going to be? And it's like, no, he's more
0: of a weirdo than even you are. (laughs) You'll see that device and that SNL a lot, also. Uh, And then um, I think Rachel Dratch is perfect for that role of flustered woman who is (laughs) it's like just trying to be a person. (laughs) Yeah, they're just trying to
2: be humans. And Lance, lambskin condoms have always creeped me out, and, and they continue to creep me out. I wouldn't, I won't use them. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an animal rights guy, and, and so that's always creeped me out.
0: So it was my little jab at, at the at the lambskin, at the lambskin condomin- condom industry. <laughs> you mentioned that if you had more more non-white cast members at the time would use it. I mean, like, you know, now is a time where there seems to be a little bit more than, especially last year, there's, actually even this year, there's more than normal. Do you do you think that it's something that, you know, it's it's a contentious issue with SNL, and obviously it's very complicated, but do you feel like, at minimum, it's beneficial to have a more diverse cast just for the quality of the show in general?
2: Oh uh, Yeah, I think most things should be that way. I think most things should be uh, reflective of of the population. And our show, you know, our show was a very, like, I grew up watching the show when I was little. I was like six. So by the time I was 10 or something, I knew so much about it. I knew the way they made jokes. I knew the style. I loved Belushi and Aykroyd and Bill Murray, Mm -hmm. Steve Martin. So like, by the time that I got into Second City, I'd had this encyclopedic knowledge of SNL. So when you get to SNL, you're like, I speak your language. And not everyone has that. So... You know, you get very talented people thrown onto a show that they really – they've watched maybe a few times. I mean, not a few times. They've watched it, but they're not like yeah. – they don't know the the language of it, the
0: tone of it. And the pace. Yeah, it is a yeah. thing that is that is maybe the hardest thing for maybe people who don't watch the show, who criticize the show and understand. And I think, as you're saying, is that uh, it's a, it's a specific type of comedy. It's not just, oh, the show needs the funniest people. It's people yeah. that can be put into it. And It happens to be the biggest comedy show ever, but you know it certainly wasn't started that way.
2: It was started as an alternative to, to you know, um, your show of shows and your show of shows and like yeah, the um, specifically, um, laughing or Cal Burnett, Carol Burnett you know? it, yeah. So it, it was a small, cool thing, much like National Lampoon magazine. You know, just for those that would that would get it and dig it. And now it's just you know it's it's the biggest show on television, especially now during the political season. So like getting, getting like Latinos and, and, and other, you know, black people and even, you know, Asian, which I imagine will will happen soon. Hopefully, you know, it's a, it's a thing of, they have to, they have to adapt to the style of the show uh, as opposed to the other way around. And so if you're a big fan of the show and you know, it's how it's done, then it's an easier trip. Yeah. And so I don't think that I I could, I could argue and say that maybe black people didn't watch SNL a while ago because there weren't many black people on it or one guy. So maybe, maybe just, you know, opening it up raises viewership and, and it, it it also like just increases what you can make fun of. Like yeah. if you're like, I'm making a joke about an urban blight in uh in, in, in the old times and like things meshing together. But you know, if, if I wasn't, if I wasn't of color or if I didn't feel like I didn't come from there, You know, it would be a different joke and it would be I would be joking about different things. Yeah. So so I think it's as the show gets more popular, it definitely diversity should be a part of it. But also when you go in there, it's not like let's just throw someone in there because we need another voice. The voice should be in tune with what the show is.
0: Yeah. And it's a process of also it when they are cast. and, And that's the same thing almost every cast member goes through, which is figuring out how to be themselves on that show. Yeah. And it's just, if you hadn't watched the show, it ends up just being more complicated.
2: Yeah. Lawrence says like, you know, it's uh you have to make a connection with the lens of the, of the camera because ultimately it's just you and the person watching and uh, that connection has to be made. And so if you're, if your true essence isn't a part of it, it's a little more difficult. Then you have to be more of a, you have to be more of a craftsman and, and do impressions and do stuff that's kind of planned. Yeah. Whereas, what I bring to the table was a little bit of unpredictability, not that I don't know what's going to happen factor. Yeah. And, uh, and just brilliant diction.
0: <laughs> to that point, this sketch, as you said, happened again when Christina Aguilera hosted. You know, at, at, I mean, maybe the first question is like, were there times that you tried to do it in between? Because Christina Aguilera was almost a full year afterwards. So I didn't were there times that you tried to do it? What was it about Christina Aguilera that you think made sense? Or even just in general, like, what because made... Because I
2: think during, during like, her talking and, like, uh, when we, we meet the host, yeah. she may have shown that she would like to do something like that. Yeah. Some big kind of urban thing. And so I, I thought she would work perfectly for it. And... Uh, I knew I was getting away with something a little bit, so I didn't push to do it all the time. I don't think it was that. Like I said, you can barely hear any laughs in the beginning, and I don't know how well it did the second time, but it didn't matter because in my mind, I'm just like, "This is really funny and strange and cool," and I'm glad they let me do it and pay me money to do it.
0: Watching it now, can you believe it got on the air?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, because you know, there, this is a sketch. I don't, I don't know, like, in where in the running order it it, it aired, but the last 10 minutes of the show are usually say-no time and uh that's for mostly for the last few years before will moved on they were given to him like the last 5 minutes were always wills and that was kind of awesome will uh, forte and so those last minutes were always the crazy sketches so you knew that there was a place for it even if it didn't make it this this sketch there was a, there there it's not <laughs> it's not out of the realm of, yes. of sketches that were written for us
0: but just not at the beginning. And you were—it uh, was the second to last sketch of the night. Yeah, I didn't, so. it, and it seems like actually no, it is the last sketch of the night because it was uh, if, based on this. It seems like Mr. Rogers died that week. <laughs> no, I'm laughing. But it's oh, funny to, did he die that week? Because the last thing it says is Mr. Rogers tribute. From I'm looking at looking up the running order. I did the tribute. I
2: sang. I sang uh, the friend song. I wonder if that's online. Oh, we'll look it up. If it is, we'll... I got in we'll a red sweater on home base, and I was just like, you know, we lost a really great guy, and I, I grew up watching him and loving him, and so I want, I want to sing a little song for him, and I sing, D special, you are my friend. <laughs> and I sing this super sad song again, No last people are like, oh, man, sad. And then a trolley comes up. They, they built the trolley to come up next to me. And it goes,
1: doot, doot. <laughs> it
2: rolls away. And it was like, Lauren loves that stuff. And then I guess I do too. It was a very schmaltzy, sweet, loving thing. And they put it in the show. And, uh, you know, the Speedy Delivery Man sent me a letter like a month later saying how they all watched it together, like all the cast of Mr. Rogers watched it. And they, like, loved it. And they sent me a little pin uh-huh. of a trolley. Uh yeah, that's uh, that's kind of like uh, something I don't usually do, which is kind of just let my let my uh, sentimentality kind of rule.
0: It's interesting that those sketches together, you know, it was like your show for like ten minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's
2: so perfectly describes or, or indicates the kind of work I I like, and uh, I like too that it's different. You know, it's um, uh, you know, uh, it, p- playing a fifty year old guy. Is, is fun. And then doing this thing around myself and being genuine, I mean, I don't know. The whole experience is is super cool that
0: way. Yeah, and I mean, I, that's like that. When you go to SNL, I, I imagine like that's the hope that you can have an impact, you can bring what your brand of humor is and have such a wide array of things you're doing. It's not just like, oh, I'm i going to create a sketch show where you can just do the perfect things. You're like, oh, this setting allows me to do things that I can never imagine doing.
2: And after a while, you know, you go on the show, and you go and you make movies and after a while, you know, either you, you can make your sense of humor into like a national phenomenon or just stay to your voice and get through it <laughs> and not be as famous as you'd like, which is kind of what happened to me. Uh, so I've, so in a way, in a way it was, it's helped me now in my career, like years later that I wasn't a TV star, that, uh, a movie star that went away. Yeah. I was just a TV guy. And so now I don't have to play off any other kind of thing. Like now I'm doing something that's similar. Yeah. You know, in, in podcasts and in, in T V shows. But but it's not the same, you know, and it's yeah. uh, it's um it, it's definitely this I, I chose this scene because it's a lot of times I like to get out a weird dark joke for you know, let that kind of sneak attack out
0: through, you know, regular jokes. Yeah. We'll be right back with more Horatio Sands. Good One Podcast is sponsored by HBO's Crashing, which has wrapped up its first season on HBO. You can catch up on all the episodes on HBO Go and HBO Now. This is the part of the podcast where I'm recapping the first season of Crashing, and I'm uh, up to episode 7. And so now I'm going to recap episode 7, which you can watch on HBO Go and HBO Now. And away we go. Episode 7 is titled Julie But who's Julie? You'll find on like 17 seconds, so please be patient, because first I need to tell you that Pete is still the warm-up for Rachel Ray. For now. As Rachel still hasn't decided how the trial run is going. But Pete thinks it's going great, because the women in the audience love him, and they hug him, and they're like, Pete, this is going great. And that's what he tells the manager at the Boston, the club he was barking for. For for which he was barking? "I, I shouldn't have to bark here anymore, Pete says. I'm big time. I'm Jim Gaffigan. I'm Jerry Seinfeld. And the manager's like, no, you're not those people. But Pete doesn't care because he has a credit and a job. And at his job, he has a phone call from the titular Julie. Who is Julie? Julie is Leif's wife. And Julie has a suspicion that Leaf is cheating on her with Pete's wife. Pete's like, my wife? Oh yeah, I had a wife at the beginning of this show. Not sure what to do. Pete doesn't tell her that he already knows of their affair. But Julie is like already on the case. First, we need proof of them cheating because I'm rich and I'm keeping mine. Second, we need a Shania Twain it. You know, because Shania Twain slept with the husband of the woman her husband had an affair with. And that scares old Pete. And he gets to the point of being truly, deeply frightened when later that night, Julie texts him a picture of her clam, which is the word she decided to use for her vagina, not the word I decided to use for this ad. Leaving an open mic, since Pete won't bark for the boss anymore, Leaf stops Pete on the street, and it's scary. It really is, like, a very scary episode of the show. Because Leaf has this, like, Weird energy, like weirder than normal, like needs money energy, and he tries to tell Pete to lie for him, because the money would be good for the Earth's soul or whatever. The next day at Rachel Ray, Pete's flustered, and then Vanessa Bayer, playing herself, tells a very moving story about not having a date for prom because her boyfriend had been cheating on her. That jerk. This inspires big old sap Pete Holmes to do a dumb thing, tell the audience about Leaf and his affair, but the audience is supportive and like, you did it, Pete, well, almost all of the audience, because Julie's there! And she is mad, mad Julie. But with Rachel back from the break, Pete goes over to talk to her to have a classic TV whisper fight. And then she leaves because she has to get a divorce from Leaf. I, I, I mean, I imagine. But now Pete is really thrown for a loop to the point that he stumbles and falls, like literally, like he trips up the stairs. And he decides to ask the audience for the secret to a successful marriage. And an older lady is like, love. And they all clap and awe because ah, but then a dude, classic dude, is like, no, it's oral. Like sex. And man, that starts like a whole thing where the audience estimates how many blowjobs that first nice older lady has given, and she is not happy. As if to say, you're done here. See, that was Rachel Ray's mom. Yup, when I said for now earlier in the ad, remember when I said for now? It was foreshadowing. Cut to Pete, barking, alone on the street, like a dog. Well, Well, he's not barking like a dog. I'm just saying no one likes him or respects him. Learn if he gets liked or respected on the season finale of *Crashing*, available on HBO Go and HBO Now. We are back with Horatio Sands. So, do you remember anything from the performance of it? Now, watching it back, do you, do you remember kind of being in that moment? Well, you asked. You asked if I if I remember being. I, you know, it's all it's all vague.
2: It's all you know. I remember. I remember. I think Higgins was the one. Who, who showed me the um, how to do the? He made me do the. Oh, the claw
0: over when your. When the arm. claw
2: goes over, like it, it breaks down and just extends and perfectly hands the person the monostat. That, that bit was was his. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know all all the scenes. I you just I remember kind of being. It's always every scene I remember just being kind of this little excitement and uh, yeah, and a little fear and. But then once you start, you know, like I, I think I was. I think I was particularly good at not letting my performance get dictated by um, by an audience's acceptance of the sketch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so,
1: well,
0: that's a very interesting way. Of putting that.
2: <laughs> and I've always felt that if people are laughing, uh, that's that's bonus, and I love it. That's why we're here. But I, it's too easy just to get a laugh. <laughs> Uh, there needs to be more about it. I need to put something in front of myself, like a barrier some kind of obstacle, mm-hmm. before I just get a laugh. Because if not, then what the hell are we doing? You know, we're just doing we're doing America's funniest home videos. Yeah, so, it's it's interesting because
0: you know, like the other side of that is in the Queen Latifah one. You do you laugh when she says um, I had a mushroom growing out of my butt? You laugh at that. Yeah, <laughs> and. You know, at this point in the run, this is before I actually think it's before the first Debbie Downer. Do you remember how you felt when breaking? You know, this is fifth fi- five seasons in, so you've already done the Jimmy stuff, I guess.
2: This kind of thing, I would ra- I would rather not break because it, it. I don't want you to. I don't want you to laugh with me because uh, I'm having a good time. I want you to laugh at the premise and yeah. and the weirdness that's going on. So, in that case, I would probably try not to break. There is a, an acting you know, uh, a, a thing that I would do, which is also like, why don't people laugh for real and they hear something ridiculous. So it's not like, there's not like laughing, like, Oh my God, I shouldn't laugh, but it's like, haha, Yeah. You're yeah. saying something funny. Oh, and I, I, I think the mushroom is funny that you would <laughs> say such a thing. And that's not right. You know,
0: mushroom growing out of my butt. <gasps> As a person who's seen your comedy and, and you know, seen you do improv, seen you on, uh, listen to you on comedy, bang, bang. You have a weight of being in and out of a character at the same time. That's really interesting. And I, th- how did you kind of calibrate that balance? How did you figure out?
2: Well, that part was like what I felt Lauren meant, and I felt that that's kind of what I was. What I was, I've always been a little. I have the ability to be liked on stage when I come out before saying anything, or at least I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had that going for me, so I could say shitty, weird things, and but I was like such a nice guy. So, like it, it, at a certain point, I was also getting. I was being disillusioned by the staleness of certain things and how they would be done again the same way, the same way. And so, me going into SNL, I was trying to like, let's let's break it down. Let's like, I, I tried to break down a set, you know, so that people could see the set break down for the first time so they could like see a flat fall and then see paint bu- buckets behind it. Yeah. And I was always like trying to like, and then the laughing thing was like, I I'm genuinely enjoying this person, Jimmy, and Jimmy's really trying hard not to laugh. So then I'm really trying to make them laugh. And then the audience is digging it. And I'm like, well, you know what? The sketch of two kids in college, that's not going to be like in the Library of Congress. So we can have fun with it. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, what is an example of the perfect perfect sketch? Yeah. You know, I was never interested in that. Yeah, I was more interested in like a moment, yeah. a fun time, like saying some weird stuff, getting some interesting jokes out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you said, you know, it's that Night live is live and that is why it is the show that's lasted so long there's been other great sketch shows but why this is a show that can go on for 40 and seemingly forever is that live energy you know what is it about you as a fan of the show and a performer that 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 you realize that is like the juice that you i guess were most interested in well i started at second city And
2: I was in the touring company first, and I toured for about three years. And I went, you know, from colleges in the Midwest. Sometimes we'd go to L.A. and do, um, you know, colleges. And so you start getting getting good at making different sections of the country laugh, different people. You get very comfortable with yourself making people laugh. And then so after the touring company, I worked in Second City in the ETC Theater, which is the adjacent theater next door. That, again, is a space that is known for being a little weirder. So, Mm -hmm. again, perfect fit. I'm myself there. I'm I'm writing whatever kind of crazy sketch. Mo and uh you know, speaking of darkness, my last show at Second City, I think it was called If the White House is a rockin', don't come a because Clinton, you know. Yeah. Very you know, very bad jokes like that. But but in it there was a scene of a plane crash, there was a scene of a of a boat wreck, and there was a scene of a guy stuck between um a subway and the platform, subway platform. Yeah. So all the, those were my sketches. And it was like a really entertaining show. But I was like, I think I was in a dark place when I wrote it. I was depre- really depressed because I hadn't been mm-hmm. promoted or something weird. Yeah. I don't know. Something was going on. I was not doing well. And so I, I started writing more. And then I was like, I'm like, let's not just make, let's make, try to get laughs out of like stuff that really scares people. Plane crashes. Yeah. Uh, you know, recently I go to ISIS a lot. You know, I <laughs> In a live show, often ISIS will be brought up, you know, because I want to take away the the power of fear. Yeah, you know, and so I'm like, I don't care, you know. Like, uh, I came here to Austin with my my buddy, one of my best friends, Joe Nunez, and um, he's really afraid of of dying, which nor is normal. But when I fly with him, I, I try. I sent him um I sent him videos, YouTube videos of like the world's gnarliest uh, plane crashes. <laughs> And I, you know, because I'm always keeping, <laughs> I like to keep danger close, you know, because if anything terrible happens, I'll be, well, you see, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, I think from, from many years of comedy, you just, uh, you want to you wanna make it harder. You want to make it cooler. You want to make it a little more intricate. You want to make it more personalized. So, you know, you, in a way you stay easy with jokes like that, but then you get hard with like trying to get people to laugh. Yeah. In a, in
0: a dark place, you know. There's the energy of like, you know. There's lots of different comedy goes on, but it's also the 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 type of comedic performers. Like I'm having fun doing it. You know, some people. It's, it's hard to even know who the snobs are, but there are people who are like like, oh, that's bad. You should be committed or whatever. But I think there's part of you as a performer that is, you know, you're. It's clear that you enjoy doing it, especially on SNL, that you enjoy being on the show, and that is part of what is a joy about watching you on the show. And then there, there is, and breaking was part of it, but I was wondering kind of in a chicken and an egg thing, which was, were you finding yourself breaking? And you're like, I, you know, so that as a result that makes it so you're the type of comedian that is doing that, or were you like, I just want to have fun as I want to be clear that I'm having fun on stage. And as a result, you're more comfortable breaking. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a, you know, I, I don't think it's an accidental thing. Like once something starts working, you kind of. But but the most like I said the most important thing was just to show people that we were having fun because that when an audience is tight or they're not having fun that will loosen them up too and and for people at home I think they always got a kick of things going wrong and you know and like I said I always tried to I always tried to like whenever I was on the show it was impactful and it was weird or it was like bombastic or it, it was like I said I I wanted people to be. Unsure what would happen, and I think people, and I, and maybe incorrectly, I thought that should be my contribution to this show because you know the show has had its perfect sketch players and its perfect sketch writers. You can argue, but why try to do the same thing? I'd rather contribute to what I, what I feel comfortable with, and that was what it was. Yeah, and um, yeah, laughing has been a problem for my whole life uh, <laughs> at my own jokes.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I imagine it, it's if. Realistically, it's probably just like you are a person who is th- who laughs, and as a result, you do the comedy that reflects a person who is a laughing person.
2: Yeah, and you know, and I understood the criticism too, but I always defended it as as saying, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's important that you you see people having fun on a live show. But we there were certain sketches that I was like, I'm really proud of this sketch. We have it's not a recurring sketch. It's probably only going to happen once, so let's do it really well, and. Um, cork soakers is that sketch you know i i jimmy and i both wrote it with uh with higgins steve higgins and uh and i really loved the jokes i loved i loved how it was i really loved the sketch and i was like jimmy let's not laugh because it'll be dismissed you know let's just keep it real and then not and try not to laugh and we did like there's a moment where we almost laugh but we don't and i'm very proud of that scene because of it because you know i was like i can do that if you if i'm pressed (laughs) But what I'm going to do mostly is that stuff that you kind of you're used to.
0: You're also at the time you uh, you'd throw the after after parties at when you were on the show. Do you feel like that is also part of the same role? You know, like in terms of like you're you're both presenting a, an air of fun to the audience, but also like that you had to be like fun guy to the show in general.
2: Well, you know the the after parties themselves were because by the time I'd gotten there, there there was there there was an after party, but there wasn't an after after party. And uh, I grew up, you know, reading Wired and and knowing about Belushi and obsessed with Belushi and and Ackroyd and 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 they had their after parties at uh, a bar that they owned, mm-hmm. I think on the Lower West Side. And I was like, let's do that. Like, why aren't we doing that? We have limos. <laughs> People are willing to throw parties. Yeah. And you know, we'd have the limos till like five in the morning, except seven in the morning. So after 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 the after party. We'd have these cars, so I'm like, let's just go. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, there was a girl who was interning at Conan who became my friend, and uh, she became the the booker. And she would just go on Friday night. She'd go to bars, big bars, and then she'd drink for free and be like, "You guys want to do the after after? Sure." So we'd get all these bars fighting them to, to throw the after after. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you feel like that was part of? Do you feel like that feeds into the same? It's kind all, of but role also in- it's me trying to bring back
2: the golden the golden era of SNL.
0: Yeah. And remind people
2: that there there's this danger is good yeah. for for, for a comedy and, and for the show.
0: Yeah, because I guess by the time that you were there, it it really f- you know mm-hmm. it was after like the ninety four ninety five or whatever turnover where they're like you know there are all their articles about how SNL is over or whatever, and then like you know Will and and Anna and then Amy and, and yeah, so then like that era came and it felt like SNL was a professional thing that's figured out how to be, and then you came in. And it is like we're not. That's like not why I came here, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. And uh, you know, you gotta you
2: gotta remember when I when I broke in, it was very heavy with stars. Yeah, Chris Kattan, Will Farrell, Anna Gasteyer, Sherry O'Terry, Shannon, and others. I'm I'm sadly forgetting. Oh, Colin Quinn. You know, so Colin Quinn had update, and you know, we had to fight for the scraps. You know, and uh, and you know, I I saw them. And that's another thing, too, when people used to say, oh, man, they do those sketches over and over again. And it's like, you know, you have to also you also have to think about the the fact that most people don't watch every week. Yeah. Or at least maybe they do now because of DBRs and, and stuff. But at the time, you know, friends and family, they'd watch it. Three times a year, or something, four times a year. If so they, you like have the to host wanna, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you'd you want to do it two or three times a year so that someone would see it once or twice. And if it was twice, then you're like, oh, it's a recurring, it's accepted as a recurring. <laughs> Next year, we got something fall back on if <laughs> you yeah. need to. If you get it twice to definitely work, you're like, oh, I can do this at least 17 times. Yeah. But luckily, I I put a kibosh on this being in another. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because this is a particular thing where it's just like, this is too weird. I don't want to subject the audience to more. <laughs> <laughs> more of the same
0: after you after you left the show you, you stopped drinking you you lost weight you grew grew a very nice beer thank you did that affect how you saw yourself as a performer or how audiences did or in any way affect how you were a performer, or did you even have to just figure it out i just
2: i I became a lot more serious about myself and so I, I became less um this is gonna sound fake, but I became kind of less big as I became less big. <laughs> And you know, and I lost weight, and I I started wearing glasses, and I started like not not going for the same joke, and I was not being, and I was being invited to audition for stuff that that was you know the dumb fat guy stuff, and I was like, well, I don't want to be the dumb fat guy. Uh, I'm in life, I'm not trying to be the dumb fat guy, so why am I trying to do it on stage? You know, so when I lost the weight, I I kept improvising. I was still doing shows every week at UCB, but. You know, my comedy was probably getting a little less physical and getting a little less big. like I was kind of I was trying to like, I, I can do the big stuff. Let me try to get
0: words. <laughs> Let me get laughs with words and thoughts. <laughs> so that sound means it's time for the laughing round, so it's like a lightning round, but because comedy it's laugh- laughing round. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite street joke? A street joke? Yeah, what like, do you mean? Like a joke joke.
2: I always fall back to a very dumb joke that, uh, it's such a baby little kid joke that I really liked. What does the snail say when it's riding on a turtle's back? What?
0: Whee! <laughs> I think that might be my producer's <laughs> favorite joke. I forgot. She, she's always like, oh, I have a snail joke you need to know. <laughs> If you can improvise with anyone living or dead tonight, who would it be? Well, you know, my hero of improv is this guy and radio
2: personality named Phil Hendry. Mm-hmm. And uh I've had him on my podcast, and, and we talked a lot. And uh he, to me, is a genius improviser. He's a genius, period. And so I want to work with him so much, but I'm also afraid, like that that our styles won't match. Yeah. So I mean, my hero was John Belushi. So I guess I'd say I'd love to perform with John Belushi. Uh, I was lucky enough to perform with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, which was like a dream come true
0: and mind blowing. <laughs> So yeah, maybe Jesus and Lincoln, <laughs> three man, three man improv. Is there a joke or sketch or an impression that you've always found hilarious, but no one else does, but you will go to your grave thinking it's funny? Uh, well,
2: one one that I did in the audition, it was a, uh, and one I did because I knew Lauren would like it. I just took a gamble that Lauren yeah. would love it, and it was uh, Truman Capote. <laughs> now, in 1998, when I joined the show people really didn't know too much about Truman Capone uh, especially people my age yeah but I remember seeing him and, and just being like this guy is such a weirdo and so and I did, this is before I knew he was a, a great author you know this is because he was like a talk show guy you know but he was in this movie uh, I think called uh, one of those murder funny murder movies and he had a line and it was uh,
1: someone here is a murderer
2: <laughs> and uh i did that impression and lauren loved it and I, I was like all right good good and yeah i did meatloaf too meatloaf because i figured ah, oh, you know they'll they'll see that i can play a, a fat white dude and sing and i because i could because i'm pretty good at singing like in the shower yeah i'm one of those good singers <laughs> and so uh I, in my first year i relied a lot on singing i did um ozzy and and aaron neville so whenever i'd get i'd get like desperate i'd be like well let's do some music stuff you know it's always good for the show a little variety i did judge aaron neville
0: (laughs) (laughs) like a people's court with aaron neville um if you hosted snl what characters or impressions would you want to bring back um well i think i'd have to think about
2: what people liked and would, would like to see again probably the christmas song probably uh Jimmy would have a few cameos. If you ever want to watch the best of Saturday Night Live, just rent Jimmy's uh, <laughs> If you ever want to watch watch my SNL tape, it's Jimmy's <laughs> SNL tape. Just get Jimmy's SNL tape. Yeah. And I'm on I'm in like five scenes in it. And that's enough. <laughs> and that's enough. That that's or all the, you need.
0: And that sketch they did your second episode which was The Best of Horatio Sant.
2: Yeah, which was supposed to be the first show. That I mean, it's, it was still fantastic because people had would hear my name, which you don't usually, you know, twice, and see me and they're like, why is this guy getting, this is funny, why this guy? And I was like, yeah. And it was supposed to be the first show with using footage from rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, which would have been brilliant. But the second show is still funny, but the first one would have been even funnier.
0: That's it for this week's episode of Good One. Starting April 25th, you can see Horatio Sands on NBC's new Tina Fey and Robert Carlock produced sitcom, Great News. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mr. Horatio Sands. Jordan Bell is our producer. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on iTunes. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to GoodOnePodcast at gmail.com. I am Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Have a good one. Next week on Good One, Barack Obama, presidential joke writer David Litt. Join us every Monday for a new episode of Good One.